Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. I have a question for you. What is the most trustworthy indicator of a person who has authentically changed? How do you know? Has he truly repented? Now, when I say, how do you know? I'm saying, how do you know as much as one can understand objective, practical transformation? I mean, ultimately, I suppose we don't really know if anyone has truly changed. And so with that understanding, how can you know if a person has changed? What are some of the marks that you're looking for with a person who has repented? I mean, he said he changed, but did he Well, many folks have asked me this question, and thankfully, Paul gives us our answers. And this is an important question, and so I want to carefully walk through what authentic change looks like, how you can examine yourself. Of course, that's of first importance. But also, as you interact with other people, how will you know that they have changed? And you're not judging them uncharitably, but with discernment, you do want to examine not only ourselves, but we want to examine those within our care. And so I want to talk about it, but first I want to tell you a story. And you know who they are. They are my friends, Biff and Mabel. Biff and Mabel represent the best and the worst of us, and they always make an excellent case study to help us to understand authentic change in a person's life. And so I want to walk you through a little short scenario about Biff and Mabel. Repentance, did it happen? Did it not happen? How do you know? And then I want to just unpack that for the rest of our time together. Hello, everyone. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Life Over Coffee. We believe that any two or more Christians can get together and do Life Over Coffee. They can spur one another on to love and good deeds or iron sharpening iron. And that's really the big idea behind Life Over Coffee. And so what I have for you here, I've titled it uh, Five Helpful Marks to See if Someone Has Changed. Now, eventually, I'm going to get down to those five helpful marks, and we'll walk through those five steps uh, that you can use as a template to examine yourself and other people uh, to see if they have changed. Of course, let's say they haven't changed. Well, at the end, I want to talk about some reasons that people don't change uh, because, well, we understand that transformation doesn't happen for everyone. And so we'll look at both sides of the coin. What does authentic transformative repentance look like? I'll give you those five marks to where you can examine personal change. But then what if they don't change? Those five marks do not exist in this individual. How are we to think about that? Well, I want to talk about that too. Now, if you want to read what I'm sharing with you, you're welcome to do that. I have a 2,000 plus word article that is all yours. It is free and you can go on our website. The street address is lifeovercoffee.com. Again, look for the title, Five Helpful Marks to See if Someone Has Changed. You could just type in five helpful marks and it will come up to this article. Now, inside of the article, there will be a video and a podcast as well so that you can read, watch, and listen. And as I told someone on Facebook recently, 
She says she liked what we're doing. She loves our ministry, were her words. And I said, well, here's the requirement for those of you who love our ministry. You must share it with 1,000 of your closest friends. And she responded back and said she's going to get right on that. And so if you benefit from what we're doing here, then don't be a hoarder. Don't hoard this ministry. I want you to share it. Send a link to someone. By the way, if you haven't received our bookmark here, for those of you who are uh, listening to the podcast, I'm holding it up to the video. This is our Life Over Coffee bookmark, and I would love to send you a couple of these if you would just let us know where to mail them. We'll be glad to mail them to you. It is a bookmark. It is a prayer card goes on your refrigerator. And then also on the back, there's a QR code here at the bottom that you can put your mobile device over and it will take you right to our coffee shop at lifeovercoffee.com. I was in the Y. I try to go to the Y uh, three to five times a week. It just depends. But I tried to go to the Y regularly to work out, and I was talking to the person at the Y uh, just yesterday, as a matter of fact, and asked her if she would put these up on the bulletin board, and so I gave her two. Uh, she put the, got the front up, uh, pinned to the bulletin board. I checked it out this morning, and they both of them are there. And then right beside it is she's got the back side of it, too, so you can see the front and back, and that's a good idea. Uh, I don't want you to hoard our bookmark prayer card. Uh, I want you to have one or two, but I also want you to share them with other people as well. So share our ministry with others if you have benefited from what if you are benefiting from what we're doing here. All right, so I want to talk about five helpful marks to see if someone has changed. I'm going to walk through those five marks, and then of course, if they haven't changed, I want to talk about six reasons why someone has not changed. And so I hope uh, all of this will be very helpful to you. And the way that I want to introduce it is I do want to share with you a brief story about my friends Biff and Mabel. Sin had captured Biff, and after a season of struggle, he repented. But Mabel was unsure if Biff truly changed because Biff did not appear to be any different than what he was prior to. He was not doing what he did before, praise God, but that was about it. There was really nothing. Uh, he, he was not, Bill's not an overachiever, and so he's not necessarily doing what he was doing before, or Mabel doesn't think he is, but he's not doing anything better than that. And so Mabel has a low-grade gnawing anxiety that Bill will return to his old ways. And it was not the first time that he had and I'll put this in air quotes, that he had repented of this sin. So her hope for change was minimal as she fearfully guarded her heart, which I do understand. We get this a lot uh, with the repeat repenter, the person who keeps going back into that same old place, his former manner of life. And so she didn't want to be hurt again. And so uh, she was somewhat optimistic, but she was also somewhat cynical. And that is truly a tension because it was... It was evident that she struggled as she was placing less faith in God than in her husband's ability to stay changed. When I talked to Mabel about it, she said, if I could just have assurances that he will not do it again, is that too much to ask? Has he repented this time? I mean, like for real? That's what she said. And so it's not too much to ask. It really isn't, Mabel. 
I mean, you should be able to see evidence of repentance. And so I, I want to talk about it. But before I talk about those five marks, I think it would be good for us to just take a little time out and, and maybe ask some questions ourselves. What is the most valid indicator of a person who has authentically changed? How can you know as much as one can know if a person is uncaught by sin, using Paul's language in Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Well, to answer these questions, Paul does give us answers in the book of Ephesians. And so I want to share with you Paul's wise words, Ephesians chapter 4. Many of you are so familiar with this passage verses 22, 23, and 24. So I want to carefully read that to you, and then I want to start teasing it out. I want to break down what genuine repentance looks like according to this passage in Ephesians and even pull out the five marks of repentance that Paul gives us in this passage. Here is Ephesians 4, verses 22, 23, and 24. He says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it is corrupt through deceitful desires. And I want you to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And then I want you to put on the new self. That new self is created differently than that former manner of life. is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and true holiness. Now, there are several things to consider from Paul's template here in Ephesians 4, but I'm only going to choose two things to consider at this point. One of those is, is that Paul is talking to Christians. Now, I know that's probably obvious to you, but I really want to highlight it. One, he's talking to Christians, and these Christians have a former manner of life. Did you catch that? He was talking to born-again, saved, regenerated, blood-bought, washed Christians who still struggle with temptations toward wicked, evil, sinful, futile lives. There is a conflation here of two ideas, saint and sinner. He is talking to Christians, been born again, but they obviously struggle with their former manner of life. They were saints tempted to shrink back into sin, and Paul is calling these believers to put off that former manner of life that you have brought in to your Christian experience, that lifestyle of unrighteousness that seduces all of us, to yield in those moments of weakness. And this is what Mabel is suspicious of. How do I know Biff has repented? Has he put off that former manner of life? Has he put on a, a new mindset, a renewed mind made in the likeness of God, true righteousness and true holiness? And so Paul was calling them to walk no longer as the pagan Gentiles walk. You see, Paul perceived that saint-sinner tension. He understood that Christians do sin, and this is what John said in 1 John 1, 7 and 9, and he wanted to encourage them toward change. And so the implication for us is clear. 
we are not entirely sanctified. Mabel knows this, uh, th- that there's a possibility that, that Biff is shrinking back to that former manner of life. And so Paul's teaching on transformation as a post-salvation Christian is helpful which leads us to a few practical questions for our mutual self-examination. And so before I go any further, I I want to just ask three questions. Are we daily putting off the old man? You and me, are we daily putting off the old man? This is what Paul is asking us to do. This is what we want to ask Biff to do. Put off that old man. Number two, are we actively renewing our inner man? And so, now, by the way, these, these are not sequential steps. These are simultaneous steps. And so we're actively putting off. We are actively renewing. And so are you daily putting off the old man? Are you actively renewing the inner man? And then number three, are we practically putting on a new lifestyle that is antithetically different from our former manner of life. And so these verses here are really theoretical. They are conceptual. They're not practical. I mean, there's a little bit of practicality there, but there's no way of measuring that. And so really it's more theoretical than practical. But this is why Paul continues to talk about this idea of putting on, renewing, and putting off, because he informs us in the remaining verses what to look for in a genuinely changed person. And so I want to share with you Paul's logic. Number one, in verse 22, put off your former manner of life. Number two, in verse 23, renew our inner man the genesis of our sinfulness, the genesis is in our hearts. And so obviously he's telling us to renew our hearts rather than just change our behaviors externally. And so number one, put off that former manner of life. Simultaneous to that, renew your heart, your inner person. And then number three in verse 24, Put on a new life like God, authentic, right, living in true holiness. Now, Paul did not want to leave us with an incomplete application of authentic, right, living in true holiness, which is exactly what would happen if he had stopped at verse 24. It most certainly would have been more theoretical and conceptual, and it would be hard to us to know exactly what that means. It reminds me of Psalm 23.3 in the King James Bible. In Psalm 23.3, it says, He restores my soul. Well, that's a great idea in theory, but what does it look like practically? Well, in the King James, you'll see it written out. He restores my soul, and then you'll see a colon there. And grammatically, you know that a colon means I'm going to explain to you what I just said. I'm going to explain to you what he restore my soul means. And so David said, he restores my soul, colon, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so if you want your soul restored, rather than just putting that on your bumper sticker, uh, uh, on your bumper, as a bumper sticker, God restores my soul. Well, praise God. But what does that mean? Well, I don't know. Well, the rest of the verse says, by leading in paths of righteousness. So if I keep, if I walk in paths of righteousness, or as I am walking in paths of righteousness, I will experience soul transformation. And so if you want your soul restored, 
Walk in paths of righteousness. Read your Bible. Pray. Witness to other people. Attend church meetings. Sing songs. Be grateful. And many other things that we learn, like say, in the New Testament. Well, Paul was doing a similar thing here. He's telling us to put off the old person, to renew our minds, to put on a new person. But what does that mean? And so Paul keeps on talking because without application, we would, we'd have to speculate on the kind of repentance he asked us to put on. Now, fortunately, we will not have to speculate. He gives us four practical illustrations in the remainder of the text in Ephesians, starting at verse number 25, four practical illustrations of what it means to authentically and effectually put off, renew, and put on. And here's his list, these four practical illustrations, so that you can get an idea of what he means in theory in verses 22, 23, and 24. So in verse 25, he says, this is what put off, renew, and put on looks like. The lying person stops lying and begins to uh, bless others with the truth. Verse 25. And then in verse 28, he says, the thief stops taking from individuals, putting off that former manner of life, and he becomes a proactive giver. Third illustration is in verse 29. He says the corrupting talker ceases, puts off crude speech, and begins to put on building up others with his tongue. And then his fourth illustration, this is the one that you probably know the best in verse uh, 31, the harsh, bitter person puts away all bitterness while spreading kindness, building each other up, spreading kindness to others. And so there is four practical illustrations of what put off, renew, and put on looks like. There's four different people. And so you have the individual who is lying, you have the thief, you have the corrupting talker, and then you have the harsh, bitter person. And so as you look at those three individuals, you can probably surmise that, well, maybe they have put off. Maybe they are renewing their mind. Maybe they are putting on a new person. Maybe they have repented. One thing that you perceive in this passage in Ephesians 4:22 to the end of the chapter is that transformation is incomplete if we only stop doing bad things. You will know if repentance happened to someone by the proactive, practical, gospel-motivated blessings they provide to others. You saw it in the thief. Uh, he, he put off, he stopped sinning, but that's incomplete repentance. Jesus did not come to earth to help us to stop sinning, and that is the end of his work in our lives. No, he had a higher vision. As some say, how do you know that the thief is no longer a thief? Not just when he stops sinning, but when he gets a job and he's proactively working with his hands so that he can give to other people. He wants us to go beyond the putting off phase of our sanctification. And so repentance is more than conceptual. Repentance is practical as we see in those four illustrations. Actual repentance moves a person from selfishness to selflessness. Real change is long-term and sustained 
other-centered living for the glory of God. Now, I want you to note Paul's carefulness here because there is a a little thread here that uh, it, it could be imperceptible to the naked eye, and so I want to bring it out. I want to add one more thing because it's here in the text, and Paul was very careful because he knew that religious people could do good works. He knew that that thief could stop stealing and and start giving, but perhaps he has not repented. You see, Paul used to be one of those religious people that looked good on the outside, what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 23. But the inside was full of dead men's bones. And so when Paul is giving us this conceptual theoretical language, put off, renew, and put on, and then when he gives us his practical functional language in the rest of the text, he knows that uh, what we could have here is he's still a thief, even though he is proactively giving to others because he has not been transformed at the level of the heart, which is why he pressed the issue further. Where did he do this? This is this imperceptible thread that I want to highlight. I don't want you to miss this. Perchance you did. At the end of his practical application speech in verse number 32, you see that he wrapped up his entire argument for repentance, for change, by tying repentance directly to the gospel. And I want you to see that in verse number 32, that you are to forgive one another as Christ forgave you. That is the motivation for doing the work. We have to have the proper heart motivation that fuels our behavioral modification, or our behavioral modification will be just that. It will be external only. You see, anyone can do works. We do call it behavioral modification, but only a person riveted to and motivated by the gospel can consistently glorify God through their works. This is how Paul said it in verse 32. Here is the verse, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And here's the gospel connection. As God in Christ forgave you. Do you see what he did there? He tied our motive for being kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. He tied it to the gospel. Do this as God in Christ forgave you. Paul connected our obedience to a gospel motive by saying those beautiful words, as God in Christ forgave you. All of our works, regardless of what our works may be, is motivated by something. I mean, even the thief who looks like he has changed but hasn't changed, Well, he is motivated by something. Everything that we do externally has an internal motivation. And that's why Paul wraps up this entire passage in verse number 32 by giving us that gospel connection as God in Christ forgave you. He wanted to ensure that he did not create nice behaving Christians whose motives found motivation from something other than the gospel real change, authentic repentance, actual transformation that is sustainable will find this motive rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will be manifest as a penitent person 
actively living out the following five marks and attitudes and behaviors. And this is how I titled this, Five Marks to a Measure if a Person Has Changed. And so I want to share those five marks that will help you to gauge if, if you have genuinely repented or if you are helping someone. Uh, some people use our resources like this here. Uh, they use them as homework assignments. Uh, and so this would be an excellent tool if you're discipling someone, if you're counseling someone. And so here are five marks that will help you to gauge if someone has authentically changed right out of the text, starting at Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 22. Mark number 1, we are actively putting off our former manner of life. That's verse 22. Mark number 2, we are actively renewing the spirit of our minds. Verse 23. Mark number 3, we actively pursue true righteousness and holiness. That's verse 24. Mark number four. Now, these are his illustrations from 25 to 32. I shared four of those illustrations with you about the thief, the harsh person, the bitter person. Mark number four. We actively and practically live out righteousness and holiness. And those, those were those four practical examples there. So that's the fourth mark. But Mark number five, and honestly, this is the most important one, is in verse 32. The gospel motivates and sustains our behaviors. And so this final Mark number five is the gospel, and that is the foundation that sustains the work or the heart transformation and the work that's on top of the heart transformation. So it is the gospel transforming the heart that is creating these behaviors, and those are the five marks that you will be able to tell if a person has changed. Paul's template for change has an aggressive quality, which is the opposite of the lukewarm Christian experience. Any Christianized person can somewhat do steps one, two, three, and four, put off, renew, put on, and do these things. And and you see that. You see their observable behavior. But a lack of gospel authenticity is why we must not miss Paul's gospel connection. If a person's heart motive is not rooted in the gospel, his behaviors, they won't last. They won't be sustainable. And what you will see is this oscillating person. And this is what Mabel is struggling with. Did Biff really change? And so the behaviors won't be sustainable, no matter how good they may appear. He may be the nicest thief in town because he's doing wonderful things. He's, he's stealing and giving to other people. And you don't know it because he's so nice, but his motivation is something else. True righteousness and holiness flow from and find sustainability in the gospel. The gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. He is the good news. Everything that he was in eternity past, everything that he was when he lived amongst us, everything that we will know him to be in eternity future, his person and all of his activity, all of his behaviors, all of his words. The gospel is the person and work of Christ, and he must be our motivation 
True righteousness and true holiness flow from and find sustainability in Jesus Christ. And that is that gospel connection that Paul was making for us. Now, I'm not suggesting that you be a cynic or even suspicious if, if anyone who, who says they repented. Kind of like what Mabel might be doing in her cynical self, in her partial cynical self. The potential for change is not a call for us to be judgmental but a need for us to be discerning. There is a tension here. And so in, in one ditch, I suppose, we have the judgmental person, and then the other ditch, we have the naive person. We don't want to be either one of those. It would be, it would be wrong to say, well, let's just wait. Let's see if it's real or not. But it would also be a mistake not to have a humble and wise biblical expectation for practical transformation. Love believes all things and love hopes all things, but love is not naive regarding Adamic tendencies. And so let's say that Biff has not repented and Mabel is correct. It's possible. He artificially and temporarily put on a new self, but retreated to his former manner of life shortly thereafter. Now, in such a case... Now we want to examine why there is no sustainable change. Why is there no repentance in Bill's life? We looked at five marks that indicate a person has repented. I want to share with you six possibilities that may shed light on a, a person's lack of repentance. And I trust this will govern our hearts before we uncharitably judge someone because they have yet to change. And so here are six possibilities of why a person has not changed, has not repented. One, he may not know how to repent. Do not be surprised if a person doesn't know how to repent. Our children did not know how to repent when they were younger. I didn't know how to repent until I became an adult. I mean, God, God saved me when I was 25. I was clueless about repentance until I became an adult. How many active and sin-engaging repenters do you know? And then compare those active sin-engaging repenters with, those with how many Christians you know. I suspect that there is a difference, probably a big difference. You see, not knowing how to repent was the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. He had his Bible open and in his lap, Isaiah 53, but he struggled to understand it. He needed to collaborate with someone. Thank you, Philip. Some people talk about the Bible like it is a magic book. It is a powerful book, but it is not a magic book. And in God's wisdom, He chose the agency of humankind to cooperate with His Word and the Spirit to help people change. Thank you, Philip. And so one of the reasons that, let's say Biff as our illustration, one of the reasons that he may not have repented, if that is true, number one, he may not know how to repent. Number two... An alluring sin may have caught him. Now, I am not dismissing personal responsibility for change, and I'm not ignoring corporate responsibility either. It takes a church. We are to be part of the process. That's what I was saying earlier under point number one. In the wisdom of God, He chose the agency of humankind to cooperate with His Word and the Spirit to help people change. Because sometimes, point number two, an alluring sin may have captured someone, and this is what Paul was saying in Galatians 6.1. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of mercy. 
Many Christians caught in alluring sin do not know how to escape alluring sin. Caught people have difficulty repenting. It's just true. Sin is alluring, and if a person has given most of his life over to satisfy his selfish desires, there is a possibility that he will return to his sin. He needs our help because part number two, an alluring sin may have captured him. Number three, the Lord is maturing Mabel. Well, this is another side as to why he may not be repenting. Paul tells us to guard our hearts when helping people caught in sin. That's the rest of Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is in a transgression caught in a, a, a trap, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourselves. It could be that a person who is caught in sin, that God is using sin sinlessly in that individual's life, to help someone else to mature. If we do not protect our hearts, we will be culpable as we pile on someone else's sin. And so they're sinning, they're unchanging, and we just jump right on top of them in all of our sin. It's easy to sin against those that we love because we pull harder for those that we love. We try harder. And sometimes we give, we're more disappointed with those who sin that we love than, say, just the average person that we do not know. And so the wise and humble person will ask, what can I learn from this unchanging person? What does the Lord want to teach me as I hope and pray for Biff's change? The third reason that a person may not be repenting is in the mystery of God, the Lord is maturing Mabel. Number four, the Lord is submitting Mabel to her calling. This is even a little more intense. Perchance, Biff does not ever change. If so, Mabel will have to remember her calling. What is her calling? Well, her calling is to follow Jesus, the steps of Jesus. Her calling is to walk in the steps of death, to carry her cross. It could be the person that you struggle the most with is God's kindness to you as he uses that person to reorient your heart back to him. The unchanging soul becomes an instrument of righteousness in the Lord's hand to mature us. And so number four, the reason someone doesn't change is the Lord is submitting Mabel to her calling to pick up her cross and carry it. Number five, what you need will control you. If you need for Biff to repent, then Biff will become an idol. Your marriage can become an idol in your life that manages you. The thing we believe we need will control us. If we believe that we need God most of all, then praise God, He will control us. But we will know what rules us by how we respond to life's situations or the difficult people in our lives. For example, when I sin against my wife, I believe in that moment that I need whatever I'm angry about, a desire for love, desire for appreciation, I want her respect, I want her approval. If those things are where my heart is focused, then not getting those things will cause me to respond sinfully to her. If I reorient my heart toward God and I am satisfied in Him alone, then her behavior, good or bad, will have no ongoing control over me. If anything other than God is controlling me, then idolatry has captured me. My wife, at least for now, is being used by God to reveal my idolatry. God can use sin sinlessly. And if I'm sinning, if Mabel is sinning, 
due to unmet expectations from Biff. Be sure to know Sovereign God is working in me or working in her by calling us to repentance. Uh, point number five, what you need will control you. Now, here's the sixth reason that a person may not be repenting. You must know God is good. Regardless of how this shakes out, Mabel must be aware that God is good and that he is working in her life, even if she cannot perceive it. Moses could not have put up with the shenanigans of Pharaoh if he was not in faith, believing God was working out something good for him and others. Pharaoh repented and he didn't repent. He repented and he didn't repent. But that didn't manage Moses. His faith was rooted in God alone. And ours must be too. Repentance is a tricky thing. And the truth is that we cannot ultimately tell if anyone has authentically changed. Repentance is God's responsibility to grant. Our responsibility is to rest in His sovereign care over our lives. If our affection is in God alone, we will be okay regardless of what others do. And so point number six, you must know that God is good and He is working out a plan. And so Mabel will find rest in, in God's goodness with a, a hope knowing that God is doing something that, that is beyond her understanding at this point. There are many reasons that repentance might not be happening. And so I've titled this Five Helpful Marks to See if Someone Has Changed. I walked through those five marks but then I've also talked about six reasons that transformation or repentance has not happened at this time. I want to wrap up and just ask a few questions and then we'll be done. Number one, do you know how to repent fully? Can you break down the process? I would encourage you to type the words doctrine of repentance in our uh, website, lifeovercoffee.com, and there is a free one-hour webinar that you are welcome to watch, and it walks through the steps of repentance. Number two, are you part of a church that is humbly transparent about its sin struggle? It takes a church, and we want to have a vision for and a practical expression of body-to-body ministry. Number three, are you a humble and compassionate friend to your struggling friends, especially the biffs in your life that aren't changing according to your expectations and agendas? Number four, how are you maturing in Christ through the struggles of your friends? How is, God, how is your unchanging friend an instrument of righteousness in God's hands that he is actively using in your life? And then finally, number five, based on your responses to your complicated relationships, what would you say controls you? And so maybe you can think about the last person who disappointed you. Did you respond with a, a God-centered response to that situation and to that person? Or did you get angry with them, demanding that they, they change because you're so disappointed in them, you were managed by what they were not doing for you, providing for you in that moment, rather than resting in God's sovereign care in your life? We will either be problem-centered or we'll be God-centered. And so based on your response to the last complicated relationship situation that you had, based on that, 
what would you say controls you? Is it the idol factory that's managing you? Or if it's sovereign God, because your hope, your trust, your rest is in him. Now, again, if you want to read this, just look for five helpful marks to see if someone has changed. Thank you so much, and may God bless you. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com. 